So, as you've heard Steve and others, when we've been up here talking, we're talking about the parables of the Bible. And Steve has said many times, he said, so the parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? So there's lots of goody inside of the parables. But why would Jesus talk the way he talks when he's in the parables? Because I know when I'm sitting around and, and I'm looking at them, and you don't really understand what's in there, and then all of a sudden the light bulb comes on, and you go, wait a minute. That kind of sounds like Jesus just spanked me a little bit. You know, because the point of the parable sometimes was to be offensive to a system. So I want you to hear what I'm saying, hear what I'm saying today and not what I'm saying. Is that the parables were intended to show us the kingdom. That's why people kept going, well, I don't really understand what Jesus is saying. Because his father had not given those people the right to be able to see what was meant by the kingdom because they were so attached to a system, right? Now, at times, we can even turn the church into a system, can't we? Now, think about it. You know, us coming here on Sunday and we sit down and the church is not the kingdom. Hear very clearly, the church is not the kingdom. The roller coaster ride that we get on sometimes in performing all the tasks that we do for the church and as the church is not the kingdom. That is not the kingdom of heaven. That is not what Jesus was talking about in the parables when he was trying to give the principles. And I want to make a point with that. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 15. And we'll start with some scripture starting in verse 1. The headline here says, Breaking Human Traditions. Then the Pharisees, so we all know the Pharisees were the religious leaders who were in the system, right? They thought they had it. They had everything laid out in front of them, but yet they couldn't even recognize the one thing that was standing in front of them. It says, Then the Pharisees and experts in the law came from Jerusalem to Jesus and said, Why do your disciples disobey the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. And then Jesus answered them and said, what? He said, and why do you, you Pharisees, he said, why do you disobey the commandment of God because of your tradition? That's pretty, pretty pointed. They probably didn't even understand what he was saying. It says, for God said, honor your father and your mother and whoever insults his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if someone tells his father or mother, whatever help you would have received from me is given to God. He does not need to honor his father. You Pharisees, workers of tradition and a system, have nullified the word of God on account of your tradition. He said, hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips He said, but their heart is far from me and they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. Everything that Jesus said in the parables, it does not fit in any way. It does not fit into how we think. It is completely radical. So then he goes on to say, and he said, and he called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand What defiles a person is not what goes into their mouth. He said, what defiles that person is what comes out. 
So that means that the kingdom of heaven is designed. The things Jesus was trying to teach when he said the gospel of the kingdom, those things are meant to change your heart. They are meant to change this thing because it wasn't about the disciples washing their hands before they ate. That was some traditional system, systematic kind of a law that they made up so that they would wash their hands before they cut bread. But Jesus said, that's not what it is. He said, the things I'm trying to show you that are standing right here in front of you. He said, that thing is what will change your heart. And then it's funny because the disciples came to him and said, didn't you know that you just offended the Pharisees? And I bet Jesus went, so what? So what? Who cares if I offended the Pharisees? He said, I'm trying to get the Pharisees into the kingdom of heaven. He said, by showing them, he says, so the disciples didn't even understand it either. Because they were like, don't you know you just offended them by saying it was against their tradition? And Jesus said, did you know that every plant that my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted? So I'm here to tell you, as we start talking about this, I've made that point. When I use the term church or we say institutional church and we talk about the kingdom, there are two separate things because an institution is not Jesus. Listen, the institution is not Jesus. The system is not Jesus. It's not how we operate. The church, when the church is operating as it is supposed to, is the worker in the vineyard. The church is operating equipped as a warrior of the kingdom to go out and do what it is that Jesus wants us to do. But it's not to do it in the fashion that we think it needs to be done in. Because it's completely 100% contrary to how we think. That's how radical Jesus is. And the reason that we don't take it seriously at times is because we like a little bit of the world and we like a little bit of Jesus. And you can't mix the two because Jesus said that people that try to mix those two, he said, those people that have the world in them are on the outside of the kingdom walls. And he said, the people that have not the world, the ones who overcame it are inside the kingdom with him. So when he says he uproots every plant not planted by his father, it's because when we recognize the kingdom of heaven, it's because God let you see it. Not because you figured it out on your own. So today, this is the point, okay? I want you to hear me. There's lots of goody in all of these parables. But the point today is I want to point you to something that Jesus said was not observable. He said you couldn't see it coming. It was because the Jews thought that Jesus was going to ride in on a white stallion, that he was going to come in with a sword, and he was going to chop the head off of Nero and and make his kingdom this big white palace and all these things that they looked for in a king. When Jesus says it's completely opposite of that. So it's hard for us, listen, because this is this it's a mindset. It's a mindset. It is so hard. For us to get out of that mindset because the world dishes it out and makes it so that we live by pride and not by humility. That's the world. 
That is the world. That is not Jesus. That's why it sounds so foreign when we sit up here and say, well, Frankie, you're talking about, that ain't what I, that's not the church. No, it's not the church. Because if you operate or you have the kingdom in you, then you become the church. You become that warrior, that, that body of Christ that goes out to progress the kingdom, just like Spurgeon was talking about. He does that because he has recognized it and he has seen it. He's seen the kingdom of heaven. That's why he gives up his life. He gave up everything to go and do exactly what God told him to do. But that doesn't make Spurgeon any more special than the rest of you sitting in this place who have an effectual call of the gospel on your life. There is no different because God has a job for you inside of the kingdom as well. Separate from what you perceive to be a system. You with me? Okay. So I said it already that Jesus said that the kingdom does not come by observation. Right? He looked at the Pharisees again, the blind ones, the ones that couldn't see it, the ones who were stuck in the system. And Jesus said, you know what? He said, the kingdom doesn't come by observation. He said, it comes in your midst. Meaning that when Jesus was standing in front of them, they couldn't even see that the kingdom of heaven was standing right in front of them. He sat there and told them, he said, it's in you, it's in your midst. It's that thing that's inside of you. It's that word that my father in heaven gave you that was meant to change your heart. He said, and it's standing right in front of you. So I want you to understand that in Christ, in Christ, who is the kingdom of heaven, right? The midst, he's in you. It's that thing that he does, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that changes you on the inside. There should be a transformation. Should, absolutely no excuses about it. There should be a regeneration. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in somebody without regenerating them. And transforming their life. And then there's a mind shift. And let's talk about this mind shift thing for a second. You know, you'll see things on television. You know, I'm not talking about new age stuff. I'm not talking about false religions. I'm not talking about transcendence. I'm not talking about us sitting in a corner and closing our arms and humming and meditating to ourselves. I'm not talking about that kind of mindset. I'm talking about a mindset that a king rules over. Because it has to come from a king ruling over that mindset. So let's, let's discuss that mindset for a minute. Because I'm going somewhere as we move into this parable. What has to be there for there to be a kingdom? Number one, somebody say it. A king. Number one's a king, right? Well, guess what? We like to make ourselves big G's a lot. And we like to make ourselves kings of our own world. We like to do it our way. We like to, you know, fight and fuss about it. We like to step on our brothers and sisters in in the church. We like to be one up on somebody else all the time. We don't think life is fair when we lose a loved one. That's, you got to have a king. So the second thing is in the mindset is that there's got to be subjects that the king rules over. Right? Right? Guess who the subjects are? 
Tag, you're it. You're the subjects. If you call yourself a Christian and you have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are a subject of that king. Us individually and us as the church collectively. You are subject to that king. Now, there's a third thing. There has to be laws and ordinances. But you're like, well, Frankie, I'm not bound to the law anymore. No, you're bound to Christ who kept the law, who fulfilled the law. And in Christ alone are you able to follow the statutes of your king by how your heart changes. Do you understand? And the fourth thing is there has to be a territory. Because the king loves his land, right? Well, guess what that land is? Your heart. Because that kingdom is not something that we sit here and look out the door and go, wow, that's a big castle. The kingdom is that thing that's in here. And that that is the thing that Jesus rules over because he said it's what comes out of here that defiles you. This, what comes out. Now, I've been there, done that, right? He said, all you adulterers and murderers and liars and all those things. He said, those things used to be in you before there was transformation and regeneration because of the kingdom that lives in you. So you have to have those four things. You have to have a king. You have to have subjects. You have to have laws. And then you have to have a territory that the king resides over. And Jesus said it pretty clearly when he says the difference between the world and the system. Excuse me, the system, the world, and the kingdom. As he said, seek first the what? Say it, come on, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the what? And his. So let's stop right there for a minute. How many of you know that righteousness in the Greek, the Greek word there also means justice. How many of you knew that? So we listen to it and we go, oh, it's righteousness. Well, it's easy for us to say that because our system and our method of doing things is about self-righteousness, our self-righteousness, right? Instead of us looking at it as the king ruling over our heart where he said it's about justice. So what does God's justice look like? It sure doesn't look like ours, right? It ain't any close to our system of how we do things in our mind. That's why I'm saying to see this is for the Father, for my Father in heaven to be able to open your eyes to be able to see exactly what that looks like. Because it is so radical that Jesus did not care that he was offending people by giving them the truth of his Father in heaven. Nor should you get offended when it comes to you and changes who you are on the inside because you finally decided to be subject to your king. That's what the kingdom is. So, he says, and all these things shall be added unto you, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his justice. And all these things shall be added unto you. What things? A Maserati? A yacht? 
Um, what's a good one? Man, I couldn't pay my bills and a check showed up in the mailbox. Is, it, is he talking about that? Is he talking about you prayed for a loved one to be healed and the loved one died anyway? Is he saying all those things will be added onto you? Meaning that if we pray for it and we hope strong enough or we want hard enough, is that that's the things that we would get because somehow that's how the kingdom works. That's not how the kingdom works. What the kingdom says is, is that all those things that will be added are intangible treasures. They are things that you cannot put your hands on. Because when those, when the kingdom is in you, it doesn't matter if those other things are happening. Those trials of the world, those trials that try to knock us off our game, or the storms that come, or whatever it may be, because it doesn't rattle the person that has the kingdom in them. We respond differently when those things happen because we have the kingdom in us. It doesn't mean we don't grieve. It doesn't mean that we don't suffer because we didn't have the finances to make a ministry go forward or something else. It just means that we are different than how the world would respond. We have Jesus. Now, does he do some of those other things I said? Sure he does. But that's not what he's trying to accomplish with these parables when he's telling you these things of how to change your life. So I would tell you that that's an emphatic no. That all those things that we talked about, the Maseratis and all those kind of things, the prosperity, that all those things are an emphatic no. Because it's about what changes in the heart. So today, the the parable that we're going to be including here. This is a parable that comes from Matthew 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. But I'm kind of going to start. I'm going to start a little bit earlier than that with some scripture because I think I need to make some points about um, some things that are happening before and some things that may be happening after. But again, I'm going to point some things out that are in this parable. But what I want you to see is everything that we've been talking about to this point is that I want you, I want to point you to the kingdom not to what the Pharisees believe, not to this system of, well, I'm going to hold on to a little bit of these things I like. God doesn't like them, but I'm going to hold on to them a little bit longer because I think that they're good for me, right? That's not a kingdom mindset. That's not being subject to that king we were talking about. So this parable today that we're talking about is the, it's the workers in the vineyard. And I've already referenced that. I said the church, when the church is operating as the church should operate, is the worker in the vineyard. Okay, with God being the landowner and Jesus being the steward of the land. He's the one that looks and oversees the land. But I want to start here in, um, I want to start in chapter 19 a little bit. Let me get over here to where I wanted to go. And just before where I'm starting in verses 16 of chapter 19 of Matthew, in verse 16 through 22, I'm not going to read that scripture, but Jesus had just sat there and had a conversation or gave them the parable of the rich young man. And to sum that, that parable up, it's basically this rich young man said, well, Lord, I gave up. Oh, I do this right. I do this right. I do this right. I do this. He's part of that system, right? And then the Lord challenged his heart, which is what the parables do. They challenge your heart. And he said, but I want you to give up all your wealth to follow me. And it says, and the man turned around and he walked away sad. 
How many times do we walk away sad? Jesus is asking us all the time. Because if you're not, if you say you have the Holy Spirit in you, he's talking to you. He's constantly talking to you. We just choose not to listen. Because we're, it, there, he, the, the Holy Spirit will not occupy, he doesn't want to occupy the same space where that nonsense is going on. Or where the world is operating. So starting in verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. A prideful person, right? Somebody, a rich person being not somebody wealthy, monetarily rich. But the reason he used that example is because why? Because somebody who was wealthy doesn't think they need anything. They're full of pride. They think their way is the best way. So Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples were greatly astonished when they heard this. And they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and replied, this is impossible for mere humans. But for God, all things are possible. Well, and here's Peter, right? Because Peter's always got something to say. And so Peter says... Look, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. So what's in it for us? Still blind, can't see that he's standing right in front of them. See, that, at this point, they haven't had the Holy Spirit in them telling them all these things. So Peter's literally sitting here and he goes, all right, Jesus. Well, I dropped my fishing net on the dock back there and gave up my entire wealth and gave up everything. He said, what's in it for me? And Jesus goes on and says, I tell you the truth. In the age when all things are renewed. Let me stop there. Guess when that, guess when that time is? You're in it. Because Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came down on you. And the kingdom of heaven is in you. It's in you. So that time has come. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And whoever has left their houses or their brothers or their sisters or their father or their mother or their children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. They will receive a hundred times as much. Almost sounds like Jesus is going back to the Maserati and to all these things saying they're going to get all this wealth, right? That's exactly what the disciples were hearing. They were hearing these tangible things. He said they will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now I can tell you that to receive a hundred times as much, there is a cost. There is a cost. It ain't free. Your eternal life is free. But with that comes an understanding of the kingdom that is in your heart. He said that they will inherit their eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, the first last theory and the last first theory, I want you to hold on to that for a minute. I want you to stick it up in your head, because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Now, imagine this. Peter and them are sitting there. So this is, I think it's interesting, not funny, but I think it's interesting that the flow of the Scripture from now on, it's almost like they put it in order so you can kind of see this This personality conflict or whatever's going on as they tell these stories so peter's literally you know he's talking to his disciples and he's sitting around and peter goes well lord what's in it for us 
So I guess the Lord found that as a good time to teach, right? Typically he does. He finds a good time to teach things and to show things. So Peter's sitting there. He's asked this question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? How many times have you said that? What's in it for me? Well, I've done all of this. I served more at the church. I served and did this. I went out and saw this person. And I showed up and brought food after that funeral. And I did all this stuff. Boy, what's in it for me, Lord? See, that's the wrong mentality. That is not a kingdom mindset. In any way, shape, or form, is that a kingdom mindset? So the parable of the vineyards and the workers, where we're at, we're starting in chapter 20 and verse 1. And I'm going to kind of read through it. I may stop a couple times, but I'm going to go through it kind of, kind of quickly. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When it was about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out again and saw others standing around in the marketplace without work. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. Then he went out and he did this again at three o'clock and he did the same thing again. And then at five o'clock he went out. So now what? At five o'clock is about the end of the day, right? So at five o'clock he goes back out and he asked these other workers that were standing around. He said, well, why have you been standing around all day? And they said, because nobody hired us. So it says he put them to work in the vineyard too and would have told them the same thing. So let's stop there and let's talk about that for a minute. There's something very important when I say this mindset about how we see things. The first group of workers that he went out to get to put in that vineyard, okay? He walked out, grabbed them, put them into the, put them out. They all agreed, right? He said, I'll give you one day's pay. And one day's pay in that time was a denarius, Okay, and a denarius was the same form of income or the same day's pay that a Roman soldier received. So it was a very generous, very generous day's worth of pay. Basically, the the people in that time were in poverty. They came, they stood in the marketplace, they got hired to go to work, and they were paid generously for what they did. So this first group said, sure, got their day. He said, I'll pay you a day's wage. They go to work in the vineyard. Here's the important part. It says, when it was about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out again and saw others standing around in the marketplace without work. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. He didn't say, I'm going to give you a full day's pay. He didn't say, I'm going to give you what the first group got. He didn't say, I'm going to give you anything. He said, I'm going to give you what is right. And the very next sentence said, so they went. I can't, isn't that kind of funny? Because in, in the world's way of thinking, right? Not a kingdom way of thinking. Is those people in this story didn't complain a bit. They were happy that somebody came along and hired them and put them in the vineyard to work. They didn't stop for a second when they went to the job place. Now, I want you to think spiritually. I know we're talking physical for a spiritual meaning. They didn't go to the job place. They didn't stand up in line and go, well, well boss or person that's hiring me, I think I'm worth $100 an hour. They didn't try to negotiate with the landowner who came to hire them. They didn't do any of that. They said they went to work. They were happy that somebody came to get them. Same thing that happened in the the 9 o'clock, and then the 3 o'clock, and then at the 5 o'clock. They all went out to work. 
But then when it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, he said, call the workers and pay them their wages, starting with the last hired until the first. Now, can you imagine this for a second? Here's the worldly way of thinking. And I want all of you think this way. So I don't even want to hear one of you say you don't. Because we've all been that way and we've all said it. If you go, we'll, we'll use, let's just take Carolina Poly out for a minute. I, I'm not calling them out because they're a problem. I'm just first industry that came to my mind. Okay? So imagine we go and everybody's working. Now, I've been there for, I've been there for a week. Okay? And then this other person over here has been working for 15 years. And, and he lines them all up. And then he comes out and he's got the paychecks in his hand. And the words are so big on the paycheck, everybody can see the pay. Okay, that means the, the, he's holding it up like this going, look, everybody. Look, look what this person's getting. And he walks down to the last person. So he walks to me. And I've been there a week. And he hands me the check, holds it up so the whole line can see it. And I get the same pay that the person that's been working for 15 years gets when he gets to the other end. Now, how would that make you feel? Come on. Because there are some of you in here that in that actual physical, meaning that physical description, you've been in that situation where you go, well, that just ain't fair. That just is not fair at all. I've been working way longer than that person, and I should be making way more money than that person should ever be making. But see, that's the difference between why Jesus took a parable and he showed what the difference was in a system and a world way of thinking than what it is and what it looks like in the kingdom of heaven. Because by the time the, the landowner or the steward of the land made it from that end to the other end, these people are furious. Because they see that, oh yeah, we about to get wealthy. Because I know I've done more work than they did. I know that I've been here longer than they have. So when he comes to me, I'm going to get way more than that person got at the other end. And so then the steward shows up and hands the person at the, the front of the line, which is now the end of the line. He hands them the same amount. Now, what does that mean? That person went to work. They agreed to do that work and they went out into that vineyard and they went to work. Now in the world, you're going to get upset because we try to do everything in our own power, under our own control. We are willing to step on everybody else to get what we want. Why is it that we can't change our mindset to believe that when that person got all the way to this end, that with a kingdom mindset, we stand down here and this person should be going, bravo. I'm happy that that person got the same thing I did. Right? That's just radical, isn't it? Doesn't that just tear you up on the inside? But isn't that how we're supposed to be with our brothers and sisters? Because everybody in this vineyard was a believer, right? God wouldn't have put them to work in the vineyard. They were, they were under his care. He said, I went and hired them and put them in there. The point is, is that there is no race. There is no, let's try to beat my brother and sister. Let's try to be better than they are. 
Let me try to outserve somebody else so God will think more highly of me if I do more than that person down there, right? That's just such a, it's such a radical concept to believe that if Jesus was that person and it was in the world, they would have run him out of there. There would have been a labor strike. But that's not how we are to think. And it is so hard to flip that way of thinking in your mind because we have been so subject to the world. Then Jesus said this, when they received their pay on the end and they began to complain, he said they were complaining against God. Can you imagine now that's because the landowner in this thing is God. So can you imagine we get to the end and we come to meet the Lord and the first thing we do is we go, God, I got a beef to settle with you. It's funny, right? But that's what this is saying. It's saying, I've got a beef to settle with you. How is it that you paid that person more than you paid me? I can't. That dumbfounds me because that shows the clear and definitive difference between a worldly thought process and a kingdom-minded process because if that person was truly thinking kingdom-minded do you know what they would have been focused on they would have been focused on the reward which was the Daenerys and the Daenerys was their salvation in Jesus Christ but they were focused on something else Something else entirely. That's what we do. We have our eyes focused somewhere else all the time. Instead of turning around and focusing on what the reward is. That person should be happy down there. Not because this person got paid the same. But because that person was able to go into the vineyard and work for a gracious God. Who chooses to be gentle and kind with what he owns. Because that person who thinks with a worldly mindset doesn't see God as being that way. The person who thinks with a kingdom mindset sees him as being a good king. Regardless of how radical it feels in our own twisted worldly seeking minds. So, he finishes telling this parable, right? So, basically, can you imagine, Peter had just asked the Lord, he's like, well, what's in it for me? And so, it's kind of like me sitting here and telling you guys the same thing, and, you know, we've gone through this whole parable, and he's like, well, what's in it for me? And so Jesus took that opportunity to teach. Now, can you imagine when Jesus was done with that parable and Peter was sitting around and he kind of looked over, been like Peter, me and Raj sitting over here. And I looked over at Raj and I said, Raj, you know what? That kind of feels like Jesus just spanked me a little bit, but he did it in such a way that I don't even know what just happened. Like, I think I understand what he's saying in the story, but I don't really know. I'm kind of dumbfounded. I kind of feel a little offended or insulted. Because he was trying to make you think something entirely different. So then here's what happens next. So they just, they've gone through, they've been taught about this parable. 
And then in verse 20, in chapter, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. And kneeling down, she asked him for a favor. Now, Jesus had his disciples. And then he had all some of the women that followed, you know, that came and was listening to. So I would assume that some of these had heard these teachings of Christ, these parables. So James and John, the sons of thunder, right? Their mother comes and kneels down beside Jesus and said, Jesus, I got a favor to ask of you. And then Jesus says, well, what do you want? And she replied, can you permit these two sons of mine to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in the kingdom? Now, these people just heard Jesus talk about the person not getting anything different on one end versus the other and gone through this whole teaching about how this thought process was so radical. And the first thing that this mother does is come sit out and try to jockey for position for her two sons to sit beside Jesus. Still thinking with a worldly mindset. And Jesus answered, but you don't know what you are asking Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. And he told them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and to my left is not mine to give. Rather, it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. So what's he saying? If you remember back when I was talking earlier. Jesus said, you will receive a hundredfold and eternal life, right? When Jesus looked at him and they're jockeying for position and he's trying to teach him about the kingdom, he says, oh, you're going to accept this bitter cup that I've got. He said, you're going to go through it. Well, let me tell you, to receive the benefits of the kingdom, we will drink the bitter cup of Christ. No ifs, ands, or buts about it because you are going to go through those trials and those things in your life that will define who you are in Jesus Christ. It's that or you're going to give to the world one. So you've got a choice. You got a choice. Because the kingdom of heaven is presented to every person. Right? Y'all know that concept where it says many are called if you were chosen? There's a, it's presented to everyone. And it's like this. There's a call of the gospel. And then there's an effectual call of the gospel. The effectual call is the one where the Holy Spirit inside of you points you in the direction of the kingdom. We are so caught up with the roller coaster ride that we're in. What gets me sometimes is this. People love roller coasters, don't they? Some people. I can't ride them anymore. I get vertigo. But you, you, you come up to the peak and you almost can see it. It's like you've been going, going, going and God's about to, it's like, yeah, the eyes about to open up. You're about to see the kingdom and you go whoop and you go right down to the bottom again because the system is so easy for you to sit inside of and to hide behind and to not allow him to show you this. And you know what that means? It means you become complacent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Complacent instead of living in your privilege. 
of living in the gospel of the kingdom. We would rather live below our privilege than live up here and be free where we get a hundredfold of those intangible treasures that go inside of us, that God teaches us, that Christ in us brings out of us. And I know they're like, well, Frankie, I can't see that. That has no value to me. Oh, but if you could get a hold of it a couple of times, you would see that the value of it is way more than anything you could ever go purchase off of a shelf. Because it is way more life-changing. So I told you to hold on earlier to the first is last and the last is first concept. This is kind of where we'll wrap it up. How can, so we go back to this line that I had on the stage with the people. Number one is, how can the first become last and the last become first? Who can figure out who can figure out that riddle? Because I'm gonna tell you what's funny is every single one of us has sat in some Bible study somewhere and we read that scripture, and then somebody sat there and you went like you were thinking in your head, the teacher was like, Do you understand that? And you go, oh, Yeah, I understand that. And you don't have a clue what it means. Nobody, you're laughing because you've been there and you've done it, right? It kind of hits you on the inside. Well, imagine this. In God's kingdom. Everybody finishes at the same time. So that means the first go to the back and the back come to the front. And everybody's finishing at the same time because it's not about who gets ahead. It's not about who sits on God's right hand and rules. It's not about who gets the most servant or or pat on the back for how much they serve. Right? It's not about any of that. That's why at the very end of this scripture... It said that the other 10 disciples heard when James and John were trying to jockey for position, it said they were angry with the two brothers. But then Jesus called them in and he said this. He took it another moment to teach, right? Jesus is always teaching. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions use their authority over them. It must not be this way among us. Right? We are his disciples. He said, we don't lord it over anybody. We don't jockey for position. We don't jockey for authority. He said, it shall not be among us. And that is what the kingdom of heaven inside of you does. It says that instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So this is how I'm going to finish this. I said it earlier, but I'm going to reemphasize it. The world, the world, that means the system that we get stuck in this rut in, this us thinking that we can earn favor from God, us thinking that we can do those things, that we deserve more because we're special to God in some way. As I said, the world will not enter into God's kingdom. The world does not. It will not enter into God's kingdom. And that includes the world that sits inside of us. 
So that Holy Spirit that's in you, that's regenerating you and changing that heart, he's pulling the world out and putting the kingdom in. World out, kingdom in. World out, kingdom in. We're the ones not listening to him doing it. The Holy Spirit understands the concept of the kingdom. Right? There is no place for the world in the kingdom. And just as Spurgeon had on his video earlier, talking about let the little children come. It says, let the little children come. Because if you're a child of God, a true child of God, he makes the kingdom simple. He lets you see it. Because through the power of Christ that sits in you, that scripture says what? Fear not, for I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame the world, not you. Stop looking at the world. Because, and and this is clear as day right now. You are going to be the hated ones in the world that we live in. And it will be so easy to just blend right into the world. But Jesus doesn't want that because Jesus didn't blend in with the world. Jesus was radical. He showed himself to be different than the world system. That's why they hung him on a cross. So my question to you is, are you, be willing, are you willing to be hung on that cross with Christ? Because that's the cost of receiving a hundredfold and having eternal life. So, Father God, we thank you this morning for your truth. We thank you for your kingdom. That, Father, your kingdom is transformational. Father, that you residing as king over that kingdom is transformational. So, Father, I pray that that you allow every eye to experience that. Father, every ear to hear it. For every heart to be able to receive the kingdom that is in their midst. Because, Father, once you've tasted of it and you've seen it, you will never depart. In Jesus' name, amen.